Hello, I'm Katie Manning and you're very lucky because you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Enjoy! Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 505 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we didn't think we were overdressed, but compared to these Luddites, we're red carpet material. I'm Haley. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. And I'm Kier. This week, the Doctor and Perry have twice the trouble when an unexpected, immoral Gallifreyan, no, not that one, but they're in it too, tries to stir up trouble. In The Mark of the Rani, the TARDIS is deposited in England in the early 1800s, the breeding grounds for the Industrial Revolution. The Luddites are beginning to riot against machine replacement. No, not not AI yet. Just wait your turn. And are exacerbated by someone performing anachronistic experiments on them in secrecy. It seems we have another exiled Time Lord lady named the Rani. And wouldn't you know it, the Master arrives too, trying to win her over in partnership to defeat the Doctor. So from hypnosis to mind control worms, from uh, mining riots to melatonin deficiency... It's a mad dash to defeat the dangerous duo, and to ensure the progress of human ingenuity, and, if time allows, get the TARDIS from the bottom of a mine shaft. Clap-trap. The talents of these geniuses should be harnessed to a superior vision. With their help, I could turn this insignificant planet into a power base unique in the universe. And you intend to use the Rani's bag of tricks to achieve this egocentric scheme. (laughs) You are indeed a worthy opponent, Doctor. It's what gives your destruction its piquancy. Excellent! Feast your eyes, Doctor, on the imminent demise of the TARDIS. The TARDIS! As the newest of New Whovians, um, I liked the introduction of a new bad, big bad, who I, I am hoping is maybe a recurring big bad. Um, and then the fact that she also happens to be a woman is a big bonus for me personally. How long do we think it'll be before we finally see a modern iteration of her return to the franchise? There's been a lot of conversation about this. Yeah, it's it's been something that people have been calling for for a long time, that's speculating, that that it's going to happen. I, I'm hoping it's not long in the making, but I've been saying that for years. So, Yeah. I know when the Missy reveal happened, there was discussion that it wasn't actually the master and was some sort of a Missy or some sort of a uh, master Ronnie hybrid of some sort. A hybrid. Or that the Ronnie 
<laughs> the Ronnie had become the master uh, somewhere along the way, which is kind of cool in and of itself, but uh, so be it. The I think every time a new series is in development, uh, um, or particularly when it was once happening with a changeover of showrunner, everyone says, is this when we're going to get the Ronnie back? And someone else will say, not before we get Susan. And then they're off to the races. Well, I, it feels like every major big bad, Daleks, Cybermen, the Master, have all come up in Modern Who. And I think just about any villain that appeared in more than one story has also made a modern reappearance. I'm thinking Ice Warriors, Autons, Jadoon. I'm sure there's some others that are slipping my mind. So why not the Ronnie next? I think everything's primed for it as far as the the readiness uh, of the audience, the demand of the audience, the the popularity, the, the home run that was hit with Missy, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that you've got a showrunner who is actively seeking opportunities to try and make the show more representative of the fans that are genuinely appreciating it present day. I think it does bridge the gap. And I I think that allowing for the doctor to have some of those interactions with their own kind is very interesting and how they're allowed to play with their upbringing and mention stuff that is just casual drops of information that expands the lore of the world that I think is really fun to play with. And that's what I really liked about her being involved mm. in this episode. And like Haley, I hope that she comes back f- for more. Mm. Have we ever seen her in any audio? Yes, there, there's there been... Well, we, we lost... Kate O'Mara a number of years ago, uh, after a long, long career, uh, she did end up doing a lot of a lot of soap operas and things. After that, she was on Dynasty for ages and things like that. Um, but the uh, we've we've had the the character utilization uh, in other formats because it's just such an interesting take on a villain who isn't a categorically a villain. No, she's a scientist. Mm-hmm. She's an immoral scientist, or amoral scientist, I guess you could say, but a scientist. Just yeah. happens to stray outside the box of you. You really can, can you? You should really get out of their brains. Stay, stay out, of, out, out. Drop it, drop it. <laughs> she's got I, a planet to protect. <laughs> I I love when we get uh, historical episodes like this, especially when they kind of tie into notable moments and kind of add a little bit of, of depth or a little wrinkle that we can kind of uh, appreciate the the references that much more. But this really felt like a separate story that just happened to take place during a notable time period. Like, did I did I miss something in this? Was there some kind of connective tissue that I wasn't aware of or or was really the only tie in the kind of loose excuse for the the violence during the, the Luddite movement? To your point. I feel like there was something with the name drops and I kept wanting to actually see those additional characters that they kept showing on a list that we never got to see their names. They just kept reading them out, Mm -hmm. which was fun and it places it in a time in history and for Doctor Who, it's very much how things often go. And then it makes you go, wait, did that did that really happen? Was there stuff I should go look at for historical purposes if I'm a nerd and want more knowledge? But yeah, I think it was just 
convenience and location and someone wanted to make sure they got to do those accents on screen. <laughs> right. The accents, the accents. I, I was going to say, I wondered if this was one of those stories that was more complex at one point and then trimmed down a little. If there was a version, a longer version of this story that involved more about the Luddites and made that a more significant aspect of the story. It had the room to, for sure. Um, but I think that might have drifted into overcomplicating the plot, which we've we've critiqued mm-hmm. in the past of just having, all right, the B story and the C story are starting to upstage the A story at the moment. I'm not really sure where I should be investing my attention or energy. But I think sort of above the table, knowing the budget accommodations for stories to follow, particularly location shoots, made it that much more appealing to have something that could be done closer to home. So because Mm -hmm. this was done legitimately on site of this uh, historical reenactment location for, you know, for the emergence of the, you know, the, the early um, uh, automated or not automated, but steam driven uh, mining machinery and things like that, that started to really kick off the industrial revolution itself and having extras that were staff at this location that you could just you guys you already have the costumes oh you you have your own dirt oh well that's fantastic let's just let's just do that uh i think just made it that much more appealing and that i don't feel that it yeah I, I can understand that you might it might leave you wanting a little bit more of that side of the story but it didn't detract no it yeah. it definitely didn't detract it's just when it started i was it, my brain went to like the um the lone Cyberman, you know, or the, mm. the haunting of Via Diodati, where it's like, yeah. yeah, we're gonna get these names dropped and you're gonna see these people and you're gonna see how this plays into the story. And I was I was kind of hoping that that Stevenson and Faraday would would really kind of play a part in the story. And then when it just kept being like loosely referenced name drops, it just mm. it felt like a little bit of a letdown. And that that might have been more my expectations than anything, but I mean, I I will say it was it was fun watching. I mean, I, when I could understand what was being said, anyway. <laughs> all right. Do we do we have to? We should address that one uh, because I think I think we all kind of sit on different sides of this as far as the depth of accents. I loved it so much. <laughs> I kept saying, "Yeah, yeah," <laughs> <laughs> and, and I kept t- t- upping the volume. And upping the volume, and upping the volume, hoping that would help. But boy, the the accuracy of some of the some of the common dialect was stunning. It made me really appreciate the scenes between uh, Omara and Ainley, where they're just talking to each other. Just. <laughs> It's nice. I, I think it really brought you to the time and the place, and I don't know that there was a ton that really really mattered you got the gist right with their mm. facial expressions and kind of what they were doing i'll go get them and <laughs> you can't like, you, you get, can't do it without uh, actually shifting your lower jaw yeah. to the right <laughs> and even when it's the upper class from the time they still had a lot of words that didn't match up with what we're used to hearing yeah, yeah. and mm. yeah i just i was right in it <laughs> I, I agree. It, it kind of like it really helped to set the the mood and drew you into that time period kind of thing. But there were definitely some times I was like, what the hell did he just say? 
it makes you want to watch it again, right? With subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> More so than I think any, when people started saying things about Capaldi's accent, when people started saying things about Jody's accent, like, oh, it's so difficult to understand. Like, no, here, watch this. <laughs> Take notes. Tell me how far you get. (laughs) (laughs) About about three lines of dialogue in, right? Right when the attack on the cart starts, you're like, oh, okay, that's it. I'm out. (laughs) So speaking of characters kind of talking to each other and how they were handling things, I feel like in this episode, the doctor finally shows appreciation for Perry multiple times, directly to her, directly to others. I, I appreciate it. I want to see more of it. Uh, are we seeing a softening of good old Sixie's heart or is this just a one-off because of something going on? And then how do we all feel? Am I missing that, that we've seen this before? Or is this really the first time that we're hearing positive, supportive, I need her, keep her safe coming out of his mouth? It's definitely more prominent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's enough of a shift that you notice for mm-hmm. certain because it just wasn't really there before, or if it was there before, it was never consistent, uh, even within a single episode or a single story, or even within a single scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it happens sort of builds through the story, which shows that there might have been a, sort of a conscious effort. I mean, uh, 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 this is uh, this is Pip and Jane Baker writing in this one, and and that duo has always been very consistent about making sure that there is a balance of characters, um, attention paid to the companions, relevance for the companions, and particularly uh, female characters. So that's uh, that's a strong thing to see in, in, in the classics. As far as, does it, is it changing 60? You, you kind of have to see if it's the, you know, once is a, f- what is it? Once is a fluke, twice is a coincidence, three or more is a trend. So... Becomes habit after that. Yeah, I I think part of the part of this was the fact that it's been a long time since we've had a positive doctor companion relationship like this. Where you know, towards the end of Five's era, it was really kind of he was a bit more combative. Really wasn't you know the the companions off and off doing their own thing. Uh, you know, and then we get. You know, start off with Sixy trying to strangle, you know, somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think we because we've been in such a drought, this was even that much more refreshing. So I don't know if it's going to stick around, but it it's nice to have at least one. It's true. Plus, her outfit was on point. <laughs> but you like that point? outfit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what point, but the... The blousey bits on the shoulders and the color of it and the fact that even amidst all that dirt and carrying people around and shoving stuff, it was always clean. Mm-hmm. What more can you want? Except for the pink heels. The pink heels got put through hell. The bottoms of them. Yeah. Thank you very much. Magically cleaning prestidigitation for the top and the rest of her outfit. <laughs> well, well, there's a bathhouse right there in town. You could just dunk them every once in a while. Yeah. Take your life in your hands to use the bathhouse, but... Well, I had noted that uh, as this is, uh, well, for Julie's case, for Haley's case, first time you get to actually meet the Ronnie uh, and see Kate Mara in the character. She's absolutely phenomenal for that role in particular, because I find that playing this scientific villain, villain, sure, yeah, but reveals herself as a villain, but doesn't have to be. 
if she could just get what she needs and be able to take this stupid sleep chemical out of humans' brains, then she wouldn't bother anybody. She'd go off and do her own thing. But she does so, she plays this villainous role who's doing, at times, very heinous things without being that bombastic or petulant representation of an unhinged Gallifreyan. So what I'm wondering is, does this actually help Ainley's portrayal of that guy as the master? Or does it, instead of being the nice counterpoint to it, does it end up just making him look foolish or cartoonish by comparison? Almost childish sometimes. I think his slow roll into the episode from Scarecrow to Sneaker Creeper looking through, I think, bushes and then the fence and the gates. I loved it. I really appreciated him in his how he, uh, as always, kind of comes out of sneaking. But yeah, when you have her doing an effective job of just staying hidden until he ruins it, it's very much like brother, sister, I can one up you. Oh, you actually know you ruin everything I do. Can you just leave, please? <laughs> no, seriously, give me my stuff back. Can you just leave? <laughs> He takes all her tricks. Ooh, what do you got there? Mind, mind control worms? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I'm going to yoink those. Don't. Yep. Don't mind if I do. What, what you got over there? Oh. Oh. You. you oh. Yeah. Uh, drugs. Yeah. Take, taking drugs out of the brains. Yep. I, I'm going to use that too. Sure. Yeah. Uh. Oh. You got anything? Ooh. A scanner. Ooh. You got a scanner? Can I look in the scanner? I'm going to take the scanner. But then when the doctor tricks the master into thinking that the scanner doesn't work correctly he immediately disbelief just nope uh clearly the doctor's right and this is fake and she's right there saying it's it's legit right here i'm showing you this thing it is outside why would they not be doing this and he ruins his own plan by not believing and not trusting the other one who's kind of in it with him like take all her stuff but then she more clearly sees that she can leverage what small bit from the master she can towards her end. And her challenge is whether or not she can keep his uh, his unhingedness <laughs> in check enough to actually be an asset instead of a liability. So she would have she would have gotten away from it, with it too if it weren't for that <laughs> bumbling master. There's a meme on the internet that's um Teaching science without the humanities is how you get Spider-Man villains, and teaching theater without the humanities is how you get Batman villains. I feel like that's the difference between the Ronnie and the Master. For sure. I I was... It, it's funny you'd make the Batman reference. I, I was thinking, like, that having the Ronnie there as, like, this is somebody who is competent, who is not, like, blatantly evil, who is just morally ambivalent... And, like, her stuff is going to run into problems sometimes. Maybe she'll do some good, but most of the time she doesn't. Whereas you have the master who is very much like, I am just here to cause problems. And it, it kind of – it feels a lot like the the dichotomy between Mr. Freeze and Batman versus the Joker, where <laughs> one of them is like, they may be an ally this time. You don't know. Most of the time they're going to be evil because they're looking for their own personal gain. But occasionally they can help. Versus the the one who's just like, if they show up, you know that they're there just there to cause problems. And having someone who is competent and not blatantly evil kind of serves to heighten the danger of the other one. You see them foil each other in how methodical they are and 
her stuff's way more dangerous than much much of what he has ever done. Granted, he has blown some stuff up, but typically there's not immediate wide wreckage or fallout versus she's literally stealing the minds and brains of an entire village and did not plan to stop and for whatever reason seemed like she was ramping it up as this was happening, whether she sensed the others coming into the area and that's what made her start to grab literally everyone who was coming in instead of just every once in a while taking a little bit here and there is what it seems like she had been building up for. But yeah, that's that is intense. And then to just peace out and <laughs> leave the earth to be a terrible sleep deprived place <laughs> oh i just realized it's today and we do that all the time but not so angry <laughs> oh well speak for yourself i'm angry all the time <laughs> that is a it's such an interesting difference between the way uh they strategize the master grabs his tissue compression eliminator and just shrinks any threat down to nothingness and the Rani uh, takes over them and uses them as uh, an asset. So there's your difference. <laughs> yeah. uh, not to mention the fact that she has the most flat-out awesome TARDIS ever. I do like that That thing one. is wicked. Yeah. yeah. Inside and out. I mean, even just the, the, the little LED strip. Well, they weren't LEDs, but the nice little light bars on the front. It just had mm. style, you know? It had, had a good look about it. I feel like as a cabinet, it could have had liquor, dance parties, a nice tea room, like anything you want inside there, just depending on how you're feeling, and it would fit. Yeah. So we always try to take our classic stories and, and put them um, through a filter of whether or not they are rewatchable and recommendable to others. And we've kind of drifted into the territory of saying that our recommendations are based on whether or not it's something that we feel that... Um, people should add to a basic set, either for that doctor or for that era or for that time, what have you. So uh, we'll start with the with the rewatchability. Uh, Haley, how do you feel about going back and seeing this one again sometime? I, mean, I think I'm probably going to rewatch it in the next week or so because I feel like there's stuff I missed and I enjoyed it enough that I want to pick up on that. So definitely rewatchable. Agreed, for sure. I would rewatch it. It was very fun. I could follow where everything was taking place and did not feel lost in the scenery changes and the jumping between the different storylines. And I thought it was very fun. And I liked meeting some new characters. It didn't suffer from too much of that doubling back on mm -hmm. the same thing that I know, Jay, that that tends to really rub you the wrong way. The, that shift of power, oh, we've got the ball, now you've got the ball, now we've got the ball, and we're in the same two corridors for a total of 40 minutes of screen time. It wasn't overly complicated. It wasn't – it didn't feel like they were padding the runtime or anything like that. I probably will go back and watch this again because it's it, – it wasn't a bad story and I'm going to print out a transcript so that I can sit there and read along <laughs> while they're speaking next time. Ooh, burn. Well, recommendability though. So now it's a matter of determining you if you want to tell someone who's – sort of establishing a starter set for themselves or just want a, f a fuller understanding of the classics if this is one that they should include in their list? I say yes, because it's a, it's a big character introduction. Mm. You know, to be seen yet, if it, this is marking a change in the nature of Six and Perry's relationship or not, but if it is that, then that, that this is an important milestone to see. But I think the character of the Ronnie is more important 
Also, anytime you get to see the master, it's not a bad thing to watch that particular story. I agree. I think that this is the Ronnie is an interesting enough character that seeing her introduction is is good. I yeah, it, it's one of those things that you just you kind of have to you kind of have to see it to to really appreciate the full depth of the character moving forward. And as we mentioned, you know, it's it's nice to have an episode where the doctor and companion feel like they actually like each other and get along. Mm-hmm. That's my main reason is I hope that that carries through and this is a turning point. So this would be a a place to mark in the trajectory of Six's installment. So if you're going to hit one of the previous ones, this one, something in the future to follow his development, I'm hoping that we get that continued forward. Not to mention, I think this is a good one to include for anyone who off the cuff plans to avoid Six Doctor stories because they just assume that it's just an abrasive character or, oh, that was that was right smack in the middle of the 80s where it was just insufferable to watch or what have you. This is something that can that can sort of systematically take apart a lot of those arguments. There are moments of compassion from your title character. There's a, as you've all mentioned, the 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 steadily improving relationship uh, with their companion. There's historical references for those folks who want to do that, and the sets aren't garbage because you're on location for a lot of the time, so you can't make your complaints about you know cardboard backgrounds and such. The music is okay, um, and it has enough uh, science wheelie whoop in there um, with the Ronnie's involvement to say, oh, okay, all right, we're getting into brain manipulation. Oh, all right, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So- and you get some Time Lord lore, which yes. is really important. And I think any tidbits that we get as we go through, there's not a lot other than constantly claiming to be an alien, mentions of the two hearts, but the interaction, the discovery of him by her, the Ronnie for listening to his two hearts and checking for pulses. It shows you a little bit more how they identify each other because he looks human and people treat him as such until he claims often, I'm not that. How would you know? Okay, you'd hear two heartbeats. You would know what he's talking about. You can kind of identify each other in those different ways. And I think that's really fun. Haley, quite some time ago, you had made a mention that any story that either takes place on Gallifrey or references Gallifrey becomes that much more interesting because that's a whole section of the story of the overall story arc and universe that that we we find favorable to to get more about right so just with this one even if it's little things like the fact that oh there have been more than one time lord who have been exiled from the planet entirely um is 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 a gift to those who are starting to build that repertoire of understanding of the of the of the fuller universe. Now, granted, you know, I mean, the Ronnie what killed the Prime Chancellor's cat or something like that. <laughs> the way the story goes, that's what she ended up getting booted for. But that's that's just extra flavor. But what, she she was using it for something or needed something from it, so it's not her fault. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, well, and uh, even in modern, especially in modern, who Gallifrey is still kind of shrouded in mystery, and we haven't had a lot of exposure to it or information about it. So it's a mm-hmm. special treat when we do get anything. It's true. Mm-hmm. And more Tardises. Tarda- yeah. T- yeah, Tardises. Tardises. Yep, you had it right yep, in the front. Yep, Trust your Got gut. it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an acronym. Yep. 
I liked the design of her inside one, and uh, I I would watch a spinoff of the Master and the Rani just. Oh my god! Hurtling through space to the end of whatever (laughs) their shenanigans on a very tight ship, just hanging out, figuring out life. (laughs) You mean figuring out how to take life? Well, yeah, yeah, but figuring out how they the right how they would one up each other, but they keep foiling each other's plans or they're off at the far edge of the universe from based on what the doctor was saying for the speed that was yeah. programmed in so yeah. it's the how do they you basically get back cut today? the brake line on the tardis <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice way to go about it we as we're recording we have just seen our incoming doctor our 15th doctor turn <sighs> 31 years old. Do not hate. That man is gorgeous. I don't hate. And that man is gorgeous. <laughs> it's the fact that all... Uh, it's just jealousy. I can't remember. Is is he the youngest actor to ever play no. the doctor? Matt, Matt, Matt was Smith younger. was younger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think in, in many categories of uh, of direct competition, uh, Shooty could, well, make virtual mincemeat of, of Matt Smith. <laughs> Dance skills, fashion skills... Um, presence. Oh, presence. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, humor, wit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, God, it, it, it's going to be an amazing couple of years <laughs> for certain. To that end, we have heard now the, uh, we, we talked about this about a month or so back that the, the at, uh, at 60, Doctor Who at 60, uh, celebration that they were going to be doing uh, on BBC Radio was going to share some of the new compositions that Murray had been putting together for the specials and for the new season. So we've gotten mm-hmm. a chance now to hear, if, if you haven't actually caught it out there, it's it's been released on pretty much every video format you can get a hold of at this point, uh, for the new theme. It's definitely Murray. Very, very yeah. Murray. And it, it got a little dusty in the room when I heard it. I was like, oh, that's Doctor Who. Oh, that's not one I've heard before. Yes. <laughs> This is correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am re- I am now ready. It, it it's nice that it is like instantly recognizable as Doctor Who, but also instantly recognizable as something we haven't gotten yet. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there are the layers in there, and I think one of the things that I find most endearing about it because it's it's a sound wall. First, don't of, of course because would you really expect anything different? So you're really kind of being pounded over the head by the time this thing builds. When it hits the middle eight and the chorus comes in, I'm like, oh, okay, there's the new addition. So now we've got, you know, because some of Murray's greatest stuff um, for for some of the last season that he was writing for were the ones where there was a full choral ensemble behind the orchestra. And it just added all of this, this amazing tone to it. And it became something that really put a signature on his, I was going to say his later work, but his up to that point, latest work <laughs> with the show, um, which is now something that's like, it is baseline repertoire. So. I think so much of his music from Doctor Who for modern viewers is what you think of when someone says the Doctor Who theme. Oh, yeah. And so going back to that, just like everything else that we are expecting from the new series is... It feels like coming home. It's it's just what's welcoming and what you recognize when you have it on a playlist somewhere and that pops up, you know, 
it puts you right back in that scene or in that moment, which mm-hmm. not that what we've gotten in the last alternate not Murray worlds, but it's just that much more of what you think of. So we've had good scores that go along with what we're seeing and they fit and they're they're lovely, but they're not iconic in that way. Or if they are, it's not something that you're conscious of. I mean, I I can I can hum Jody's theme. I can hum Yaz's theme because that's been established. And and we'll get more of an opportunity to sort of shine a direct light or or I should say to extend the metaphor, tune a more direct ear to those when Sigunakanola comes to Gallifrey One next year uh, as one of the featured guests but and and i'm not saying that they're not things that you can pick out when you hear them Mm. but as a as a song score you don't put on jody's theme Mm. you put on the scores or the you can name the ones from when murray was writing before you can name them and you can play them and go oh this episode not just oh Mm. when jody's on the screen yeah. I will never not break into tears hearing the first four measures of his Brigadier's theme. I won't. Yeah. I can't. I'm physically incapable of doing it. But I, if for anybody who was wondering whether Murray was going to be pulling something new out of the hat for the work to come, I, I, I don't see any signs of it yet. But it's a uh, you know maybe it's something where he'll find moments to to bring it down. You know, really low and and uh, and and eerie or something like that. You know, sort of go a Mike Snow X Files route every once in a while and use some squealy violins. Who knows? I wouldn't put it past them to have the thing that's going to be ear catching for this, and then yeah. have more to present. Yeah. So let, you, let's hope. Yeah, you like that? I got lots of that. Here's some of this. I heard you like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, We've, surprising absolutely no one. Uh, the BBC has. All but officially confirmed the uh, the toy maker uh, on the social media channels. Yeah, they did this really. I, I think at this point they couldn't deny it. It was like one of those things where if you don't just leverage it, because it gave them a marketing angle, which they're they're using now. Something we'll be doing in a few weeks' time when we do a little bit of a, I guess a primer, or for some folks maybe just a brush up on who the celestial toy maker was, mm-hmm. um, so that we can watch for the the aspects of what Neil Patrick Harris brings to the character but yeah i mean you, when you get to go all the way back to the to the first doctor in the early 60s on this one that's a it's an amazing pull so nbh <laughs> we have a lot to look forward to in the in the season to come beyond the specials but apparently there's already been a lot of work being poured into getting things squared away for whatever Russell's game plan is for for even going into series 15. 15 now. So what would be Shooty's second season at that point? So we've got uh, episode counts uh, to know that we're going to be looking at uh, nine installments. So three, three production blocks. Uh, and we know the directors associated uh, with most of those. To add on to the list of the directors that we know for... Uh, for uh, series 14 to come so and a lot of fresh names um, and new to the Doctor Who property but ones who have worked with Russell in the past uh, and then a, a familiar name which I think is kind of cool having Peter Hoare come back 
who did, uh, we last saw him in Doctor Who in uh, Good Man Goes to War, which was a brilliantly constructed episode, if you recall. It wasn't just funny ha-ha stracks. Uh, there was a lot more to it also. Um, with the, oh God, you got the Shadow Proclamation, you've got uh, Madame Kavarian, it's, it's all kinds of great stuff out of that. And it was, uh, it's, it's going to be fun to see him return. I very much appreciate getting information about Series 15, but I would appreciate more knowing when the specials are supposed to air. That's oh, true. not to talk about here. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He's... Well, when we uh, when we come back in two weeks, we're going to be going back to our Sarah Jane rewatch with uh, Mona Lisa's Revenge. Yeah, she's mad about losing those eyebrows. Real mad. This has been episode 505 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, I'm going to go and mumble something unintelligible before throwing things down a hole. <laughs> and this is Kier saying, see, uh, all those days that I've been going without sleep, I'm absolutely fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> this is Julie saying, look, I have this idea. Next cast, I know exactly what we should do. Call it a hunch. And this is Haley saying that after the technology woes we've had this evening, Kira's joining the Luddites. We'll see you next time. I don't see. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time. This is Julie saying that. This is, this is Julie saying what I previously said. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to have to edit the crap out of this. <laughs> How do you forget to say your name? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>